postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Hello again, mighty parent or parent-to-be. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada, and as we continue with our movement and body wellness series, I am just delighted to share with you the talk that I had with prenatal yoga teacher, pelvic floor yoga instructor, and just all-around birth and anatomy geek, Deb Flaschenberg. Now, one of the things that I love so much about this series as a whole is how the state of your body's soft tissues and muscles and your postural habits, all of it directly impact the flow of your birth. And if you're asking, why do you love that, Adriana? Well, (laughs) let me tell you, I love it because 
That's something you do have control over. For all the uncertainties that come with labor, the state of your physical body is one thing that you can get curious about right now during pregnancy. And then when you learn where your body is at, so what your starting point is, what you're working with, then you can take whatever steps are needed to support your body so that you have a more flowing birth and also a better postpartum experience and recovery. And when you connect your exercise history with the physiology, balance, and alignment of your pelvic floor and core, you get all these amazing insights on how you need to move or not move for a really supportive and holistic approach towards pregnancy movement. And so that's what I love. Now, this episode connects really well. See what I did there? Pun intended. It connects really well with Molly Deutschwein's episode that is also part of this series, which focuses so much on your structural alignment and posture. And it also brings insights into some of the things that happened during Lauren Horton's birth story if we connect it with her history as an athlete. So, for example, one of the things that stands out in my mind is when Lauren mentioned that she got hemorrhoids after her long pushing stage. And so after listening to this episode with Deb, you might have your own aha moments and insights. I hope you do. This is also a great time to remind you that the point of all this information that we bring is not so that you view it from a place of shame or judgment, but rather as an opportunity to gain insights and gather the tools that you can use moving forward. All right. So today's topic is one that has been on my mind for a while, ever since I was at a birth where the baby was crowning for a really long time, and the caregiver made a frustrated comment about these yoga people with their tight perineums. Now, at the time, I was appalled because the way she said it was not supportive for the birthing person that was trying so hard to get her baby out. But the comment did stick with me, and of course, I then needed to know if her comment held any truth, and if so, what could be done during pregnancy to make things easier during labor during that pushing stage. So this is a packed episode where Deb is going to give you some pointers on how to know if your pelvic floor is too tight and some ways you can balance that. We're also going to talk about why you don't really want to be doing Kegels just because, you know, willy-nilly. We'll talk about how to squat in a way that doesn't close your pelvic floor. We go into the different types of incontinence and Deb's own close call with an episiotomy. You're also going to hear how pelvic PT can be an important piece of this puzzle, and I will definitely be circling back to that topic during our birth prep series, where we go deep into the pushing physiology and how you can approach the pushing stage in a way that protects your pelvic floor. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Deb. I am so glad you're here. Thank you. I am a longtime listener of yours, so it's quite an honor to be on the show. Oh, it's so exciting. And and I love when there's fellow podcasters that come on the show because we have so much passion, you know, passion for birth and passion for sharing and broadcasting messages. And yeah, I, I love telling my listeners about other shows. So what's the name of your show? Yoga Birth Babies. Mm-hmm. So fabulous. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What do you do aside from podcasting? <laughs> I do a lot. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which hat do I go on first? Uh, well, I started the prenatal yoga center in New York City. And then just from that journey flourished into becoming a labor sport doula. And then I also became a Lamaze teacher. I did the midwifery assistant program down at the farm. And then years after accumulating all that birth knowledge, uh, I had my kids. So I have the hat of being the, you know, the director of the studio, a yoga teacher. I teach teacher trainings all around the country. You know, I write for different blogs as well as my own. So it's it's all birth advocating. So it all kind of revolves around the same thing, just different roles. Mm-hmm. No, and and it's lovely. And it's not only that, like once you get into what, however, whatever was the gateway that brought you to birth work or birth related <laughs> information, you just want to help more and more. And I find myself in the same situation, right? I was I started just with birth doula and then progressed to doing sleep consultations and postpartum education classes and then the podcast. And it's just so enriching to the soul. 
It is. And it's all, but it's all based on the one idea of like, how can we help? And I feel you're in the same boat of this. How can we help women have a really exciting, or not exciting, some people don't find exciting, but just uh, autonomy and, and empowered birth that they can own and have it feel a positive experience throughout their life. And I think all these different venues that you and I do are just trying to support that. Yeah. And maybe this was your experience as well, but it wasn't until I became a mom that I realized how insanely difficult and like earthquake shattering (laughs) becoming a mom is, like to your identity, to your life, to all the things, like how much it asks of you. And now I find we're starting to hear more about it. But, you know, my daughter just turned 13. When she was itty bitty, this was not the talk. And I think a lot of people out there still don't know, right? Yeah. Sometimes I actually have to catch myself with my prenatal students that don't have kids pulling back. So I don't want to scare them. Um, but yeah, I feel like we don't talk about it. It's hard to have it all. And something has to give, you know, at certain points. And it's an ebb and flow of what's getting more attention. But yeah, I don't think I fully understood the weight uh, and responsibility of motherhood, even though I had been working in that field for almost 10 years, you know, before having my own kids. But then all of a sudden that responsibility of motherhood and so much giving and then family and supporting that and running a business, it's a lot. It's too much. Love it. It's, a lot. it's too much. It's too much. That idea that you're going to have it all. You know, I love how what we're going to talk about today, which is can exercise during pregnancy make labor harder, how that sort of parallels what needs to happen in your physical body and what makes more more of a difference for your physical body is kind of parallel to what needs to happen to your mind. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be a surrender to both <laughs> and, exactly. and acceptance and, and also a social acceptance. You know, I know we're going to talk about like exercise and kind of the body image. And I think there's this image that many of us take on like, oh, I'm pregnant, but I'm only going to change in my belly and boobs, not let anything else change, you know, because that's like this Hollywood image. And then we also have this Hollywood image of what moms can do, which is supposedly everything. So I think we kind of have to surrender and, and take the mask off a bit. So let's talk about that physical part. What are the benefits of exercising during pregnancy first? And then we'll get into like, what, what should that exercising look like? Sure. So I think exercising is fantastic. I've been a prenatal yoga teacher, an avid exerciser and prior dancer. So clearly I support exercise. It's amazing for keeping the aches and pains at bay during pregnancy. It's a great release of endorphins, especially for prenatal. I think coping skills and learning breathing are all going to benefit some sort of labor, whether it's a vaginal or cesarean, still having the coping skills and the breathing. So I think it's incredibly important. But what I think sometimes happens is we often hear this common saying of, oh, if you did it before, you can absolutely keep doing what you were doing during pregnancy. And I think that's where we start to get a little bit misaligned with how can exercise help create a more of a functional birth. So keep exercising, but do it mindfully. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think when we used to have this this sort of mantra of if you are doing it before, you can continue doing it while pregnant, there was always the caveat of, but like, don't horseback ride or do things that are jerky <laughs> and jump, you know, no trampoline jumping. Like there were a little bit of, of things that people weren't widespread. Yeah, but it goes further. I think it needs to be explored Further. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, when this was being said, there wasn't that widespread idea of boot camps and, 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 yeah. and fit, you know, doing weights and lifting, like, all of that was not what everybody was doing then. Right. It wasn't quite the trend. And this trend of like the boot camps and the bar class and even the spinning, it's relatively new in terms of what we think of, you know, exercise. If you think back, even like the 80s where there's kind of Jane Fond, and I think in the 80s and 90s, there was like step class and then spin really, I mean, I might not be totally on par with this, but I think it's maybe like 2000, a little later that spin and then bar classes, maybe like 15, 10 years ago. So these things are relatively new and, and very tightening for the body, which is not helpful. Right. And that's why I thought it was so important that you reach out and we're talking about this today, because yeah. not that we're knocking weight training and, you know, cross training and all that. It has its place. It's just that we're seeing people that are really doing that before and during pregnancy having a harder time with labor and postpartum because of it. 
Absolutely. And I'm, I'll out myself. I was the person on my spin bike five days a week pregnant. In fact, I had my clothes to go on. I had my gym clothes to head to the gym for, I think it was like a 9 a.m. spin class when I started labor. And I thought, you know, if my contractions go away, I'll make the 10 o'clock <laughs> because of my obsession. I'll call it that a little obsession with, can I keep this, can I keep this body physique that I had, I was doing before it really made my labor so much more difficult and my postpartum. And it was that kind of turning point for me of having been through it myself and seen the detriment of continuing to that extent that I really start to change the way I approach how I teach yoga and just the methodology to help women have a better birth. Because one thing that was really hard is if it's a really long birth process and the healing process is harder and all of a sudden you're a new mom, you don't want your body and your pelvic floor and your abs to be the main focus. You want to be able to focus on, you know, creating this relationship with your child and breastfeeding and enjoying it. And because I was so hardcore before, it really became a stressor that I was seeing a PT twice a week. And I was doing all these pelvic floor exercises to try to help kind of rebuild myself. And, and the labor was really arduous and it created a lot of fear about heading into my second labor. And I want women not to have to have that. And what was really interesting was I was working with a home birth midwife. I was working with a very well-established doula and an OB. I had a, a huge team and no one ever said, hey, Deb, let's look at what you're doing exercise-wise and maybe we need to look and refine it. And so that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, exercise is great, but are we exercising in a way that's going to help or hinder the birth experience. Mm, absolutely. And that's, you know, why we're talking here today about this topic. But one question I have for you, Deb, because sometimes I hesitate, like you were doing all these classes, you were doing your spinning. If somebody would have told you, wait, hold on, you're doing too much. Would you have listened though? That's a great question. And I don't know, but what I do think if someone said, hey, Deb, if you do this, it may actually make your birth harder. I think then I would have listened. If someone said, oh, you know, don't worry about gaining some weight, I probably wouldn't have. But if they wanted that, if they put that magic piece of, do you want your birth to be harder? And again, what woman's like, yeah, give me the hard birth. I think that would have made the difference. And that's why I say this to people, like you don't want your birth harder. You don't want your postpartum harder. So I think had that been highlighted, I think it, yeah, I think it would have. So hopefully those out there listening who do a lot of exercise are not being put off by this topic, but rather listening with an open mind and, and curiosity to see how they can improve their situation to actually have that better birth, because that's the point of it. We all want to have an easier, smoother birth. So how would exercising during pregnancy make labor more difficult? Oh, there are so many ways. <laughs> so let's jump in. So first of all, we want to make sure that we want a balanced pelvis because a balanced pelvis is going to make more of a balanced uterus. So there's so many exercise things that can create imbalance in the pelvis. So let's start with the psoas muscle. Um, so those that don't know, it's a muscle that goes from T12, your thoracic 12, kind of down along the lumbar. It runs behind the uterus and attaches to the lesser trochanter, the femur, kind of that upper thigh bone. Uh, it's responsible for, a lot of people call it the hip flexor. So it will bring your legs up and down, um, like spinning or running. You can imagine the, the thigh bone kept lifting and lifting and lifting, and that's the psoas tightening. So things like spinning and running, um, a lot of these bar classes where they're doing these huge bump mots, huge kicks, all that's tightening the psoas. And when we tighten the psoas, if you can imagine it runs behind the uterus and we're trying to keep the uterus balanced. If it torques the uterus, that's going to prevent baby to find optimal fetal position as well as descend. So we want baby to be able to kind of descend and corkscrew down. But if the if a tight psoas is preventing that, baby may not descend. Baby may start to get more stuck or just never really hit optimal position. So tight psoas, which many people have, whether they're even athletes or just um, more of a sitting person, you know, sitting also brings the psoas in a tightened position. So we really want to be mindful of a tight psoas. I hope I explained that well enough to be able to visualize. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. So what are some things to do to have a more relaxed, less tight or balanced psoas? Uh, there's fantastic yoga positions. Um, there's also the Webster technique. I don't know. I'm sure you know about that chiropractic technique. I remember with my own second labor pregnancy, I went to my chiropractor around week 36 and going once a week after that. 
And she had me this interesting exercise where I brought my arms over my head. And because my right arm was, it came up slightly shorter than my left. She's like, oh, your right psoas is shorter or tighter. And I'm like, you can tell that from bringing my arms overhead. So I did a lot of the Webster technique. But Gail Tully and Spinning Babies also has some psoas releases. But yoga, we do a lot of very mindful psoas relaxing. Um, also, the interesting thing about the psoas is it's so prone to stress. So if we're creating stress and anxiety, it's also going to kind of clench up. So we want to keep the psoas well stressed and try to keep it kind of supple and juicy. Mm, very good. So we talked about the needing a balanced pelvis because it balances the uterus and you talked about the psoas muscle. Are there other things that help balance the pelvis? Yeah, we also want to be mindful of the piriformis. So I'm throwing a lot of anatomy out there. So I hope some people, those that are already into yoga and, and you know birth probably know a lot of these. So also a tight piriformis. So that's a, a deep rotator muscle. It goes from the uh, the sacrum and it runs to the greater trochanter, the femur, kind of the outer uh, thigh bone. And when it's tight, that can pull the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint, out of alignment. So if you think about the, the pelvis, we've got the two big hip bones and then the sacrum connecting it in the back. When those are out of alignment, it can create um, a harder time for the baby to descend. But if we want to think of the outlet of the pelvis, if the sacrum's pushing into it, the baby's head can actually get caught on that rim. So if we have this tight piriformis and it's pulling on the sacrum, that can create misalignment. So when we hear about these women that are having these really long labors and things are just moving really slowly or stall out, it's usually baby position. So tight piriformis is another of those causes of the pelvis being out of balance. And that happens with so many pregnant women because we think about the S curve of the spine, when we get that deeper lumbar curve, and we've all seen the pregnant women start to waddle, the feet turn out, that's creating that tighter piriformis. One of the biggest culprits bar classes. It's all about external rotation, all sorts of leg lifts, keep squeezing the glutes. Anything we're overly squeezing is making it tight. And tight doesn't mean it's strong, it just be tight. So we want to be really mindful. So there's a few exercises in yoga that we do, but if someone's not interested in yoga, a really easy one to do at home is if you take a tennis ball and you put it in, you sit on it and kind of push it into the glute and roll around on it, there's usually kind of this deep, tight kind of burning spot that the tennis ball can help release or a massage. Massage is another great way to try to release the piriformis. I've had some massage therapists get their elbows in there and kind of dig around to try to release that. Um, But a lot of people have a tight piriformis. But again, all these over tightening things, because we're doing, you know, a lot of these exercises we talked about are relatively new. We think we're creating this strength. We're actually creating too much tightness. Yeah. And I... You know, the best way I have to explain that, and more specifically, is with Kegels, right? There's this idea of Kegels, 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 do Kegels. It's perfect. And now let me see if I'm explaining this properly. So the Kegel is just a tightening. And sure, you want strength, but really a strong muscle is a is a toned muscle, not just a tight muscle. So doing the Kegels just tightens and actually shortens the distance between your tailbone and your uh, cox, uh, now your uh, ah, front bone, pubic bone. There, I'm like the one in the front, <laughs> the pubic bone, which you uh, that's where the baby is going to come through. So you actually want that space to be able to open up wide, and you by tightening and doing Kegels, you're just making it tighter like a difficult more difficult door to get through absolutely and kegels often are just people think of kegels like like you said squeezing but one way it's often described is squeeze if you're stopping the flow of urine but that's just the urethra sphincter you know that's really just the front if we're really squeezing everything that's even worse so if someone needs pelvic floor work we want to create balance you're totally right that we don't want to just tighten, tighten, tighten. We actually want to create, I think of the pelvic floor kind of like a springboard. It should be bouncy. That you want to have a toned muscle that has given flexibility. We don't want a muscle that's so shortened and tight that it can't stretch. And we don't want a muscle that's so long and flaccid it can't support. Your pelvic floor really needs to have, it's like a shock absorber. So if you think about the whole pelvic bowl and that's the the springy foundation, every time someone walks or sneezes or coughs, there's a downward pressure of the pelvic organs. And we want it to kind of spring back up and support, not just 
tighten. Another thing that can happen with an overly tight pelvic floor is that it can create a harder time pooping, which is then going to can cause hemorrhoids. That can cause, the more someone strains, it can also cause incontinence for someone if they're too tight. So it really needs to be balanced. And yeah, the idea of just tighten, tighten, that, that's really a fallacy. A lot of women are actually hypertonic. They don't need more tightening. They actually need to learn to relax the pelvic floor. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Oh, yeah. Let's talk into how you can do that. And uh, as you were talking about the pelvic floor having it be like a bouncy springboard, I was thinking yeah. you want your Goldilocks pl- pelvic floor. It's just, just <laughs> right. Not too soft, not too hard. Just right. Yes. I mean, that's so right. Not too tight, not too loose, perfectly springy. So a few ways that we can actually stretch the pelvic floor. So first, I'm going to even teach you to figure out, do you even have a tight or loose pelvic floor? There are a few ways. One, you can actually palpate your own pelvic floor. So if you can find your sit bones, your ischial tuberosities, those bones in which you're sitting upon, and if you start to massage kind of the inner ridge or inside the sit bone towards the perineum, if it's tender and it hurts when you're pressing on it, it's too tight. If you can kind of palpate all through there and nothing, you're probably more balanced or hypotonic. Another way someone can tell is incontinence can happen with a tight 
and a relaxed pelvic floor, most people think, oh my God, I'm having incontinence, let's just Kegel more. And sometimes that's making it worse. So the kind of general understanding is if you are sneezing or laughing or coughing or jumping or running around and you have some incontinence, you're probably hypotonic and need a little more support. And that's stress incontinence. But if you're having what's called urge incontinence, where people just don't make it to the bathroom on time, that's usually associated with a tight, short muscle where it's almost spasming. So that's a hypertonic. So some people that are having that, they're like, oh no, I'm leaking. I'm going to Kegel more. And then they're just shortening and tightening the muscle. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I did not know this. There's different kinds. Yeah. Yeah. And so we wanted, I'll also talk about how to actually do pelvic floor balancing. So to stretch the pelvic floor is a few really easy ways. And the first really easy way I teach if someone's kind of new to it, it's just deep diaphragmatic breathing. So when you breathe, if you're doing normal respiration, when you inhale, your lungs expand, your respiratory diaphragm, which is kind of like a, a dome, I think of it like a jellyfish, it drops and spreads. And then there's slight downward pressure of the pelvic organs on the pelvic floor. And that creates a, a spreading and widening of the pelvic floor. Then when you exhale, your lungs empty, your respiratory diaphragm domes back up and it creates like a little vacuum and it lifts the pelvic organs and creates like a dome in the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor and pelvic diaphragm should move together. They should both inhale and drop and spread and exhale. There's a natural lift. So if someone can focus on a deep, relaxed, diaphragmatic breathing way to the pelvic floor, just that natural downward pressure, not you're forcing it, you're not trying to like press anything or bulge the pelvic floor, but just deep diaphragmatic breathing should start to create a little bit of length in the muscles. So that's one really simple way that everyone can do. Everyone can breathe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone can do, you can do it driving your car. You can do it sitting on the subway. The problem that some of these, as we're talking about going back to exercise, some of these things that we're constantly hearing in things like bar class, and I heard this in many, you know, yoga classes that I haven't really enjoyed some of the instruction. It's navel to spine, navel to spine, or people teach themselves to hold their abdomen all the time. So they're creating that intra-abdominal pressure, which is putting pressure on the pelvic floor. So when we hear like, okay, only breathe up in the upper chest, you're losing the opportunity to get some natural stretch of the pelvic floor. So we're creating more tightness from trying to create this image of like, I'm going to keep my belly always in. Yeah. And when you yeah. breathe up on your lungs all the time, you're actually telling different signals to your nervous system. It's actually yeah. more stressful. Yeah, we're in that fight or flight all the time, which we know is not good. We don't no. need to run on. We'd run on adrenaline enough. We don't need to run on adrenaline in, you know, while we're just working on breathing. So another way if someone's into yoga, the idea like something like in down dog, lifting and spreading the sit bones or a forward fold, lifting and spreading the sit bones so that, again, you create some length. Because a lot of times, again, we think Kegels just squeeze the vaginal muscles. But we want to be able to think of kind of that whole diamond shape of the pelvic floor, having the ability to stretch between the sit bones from pubis to tail. So if someone's actually needing support, just squeezing the earth or sphincter is really not doing it. I think, again, it kind of the pelvic floor like a dome that if you were to have to tone, you do it on the exhales. The inhale is to stretch and release, but the exhale, we're thinking of drawing your sit bones together, drawing your pubis and tail, and trying to dome and lift the perineum. So you're not just squeezing as if you're stopping from peeing. So it's a little, it's a different, it's a different balance than just, oh, I gotta squeeze, I gotta squeeze. It's an inhale to stretch and an exhale to engage. And engage is different than just squeeze. Right, right. Engaging is just, you know, sensing movement towards it's not yeah. like, oh, as hard as I can. Yeah, we don't want to go for like, oh, I'm going to squeeze everything in. We're probably overdoing it. So yeah, we want to be able to have, again, go back to this jellyfish idea in my mind, like you can visualize the undulation, like the inhale, it drops and spread the exhale, it lifts and domes. And so we're engaging, we're creating muscle work, but we're not just squeezing, squeezing, squeezing until we're blue in the face. Yeah. So yeah, tight pelvic floor is not helpful for birth. What do you think about 
squats and 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 squats done you know properly <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like let's talk about squats. Yeah, let's talk about squats you know with you, making sure your knees are don't go f- in front of your toes and that your feet are not you know angled out but parallel and that you go down and don't lift your your heels goes down as far you know yeah I mean if as long as the heels are supported you hit something huge about that the feet are parallel Mm. because a lot of people are going to start squatting turning their toes out in an external rotation and that's actually taking the sit bones closer together so that's actually shortening the the muscles as well as creating less space if someone wants to use this for birth you know a, a birthing position I think squats are fine but the thing we have to be really mindful is if we understand baby position because when we squat parallel we're opening the outlet of the pelvis if a baby's breech i wouldn't want to shove the presenting part that may not you know if, if, the butt if a, or the feet or whatever because yeah, yeah. if you know maybe they have a provider that's going to deliver a breech but here in new york city we don't have too many so i'd want to understand the position of the baby but it's a great pose to stretch the pelvic floor and it's a great pushing pose because it does open the outlet of the pelvis more than you know birthing on your back and what I like about the squats is like it's done properly and, 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 and having checked that it's appropriate for you is that I feel like talking to about this inhale, relax, exhale, engage that you've mentioned that when mm-hmm. you go down, if you're sticking out your sit bone, right, not tucking, but really sticking right. it out, then you're as you go down, you're opening and as you go up, stretching. Yeah. engaging toning engaging yeah and that's the other thing you you totally hit on the head there that many people squat and they tuck their tailbone and so if you look around ever since i've been studying the pelvic floor people are now going to know my secret i look at people's postures feet and tailbone and when you see a really tucked tailbone they're probably a really hypertonic pelvic floor. So if we tuck the tailbone, we're creating more of that tightness. So you're absolutely right, kind of swing the tailbone back and think of widening the sit bones. So I think we've gone into very specifically the parts of the pelvic floor. And I want to talk about how to take that into your exercise practice and what you're already doing and what other exercises to do to avoid like more from a broader point of view, not just so (laughs) narrow into a specific position or exercise. You mentioned that stuff like running or cycling that can tighten the psoas muscle. So clearly that's something to be avoided or balanced with some good stretching of that muscle. But as a practice in general, are there some exercises aside from running and cycling and bar that should be kind of avoided or lessened or like weightlifting? What do we think about that? Weightlifting, it can create, you know, when a lot of people hold their breath when weightlifting and push down on the pelvic floor, I think that's not going to be helpful. That can lead to some prolapse. I also don't think holding your breath when pregnant is a very particularly good idea. We get a lot of professional dancers coming to my studio because we're not far from Lincoln Center. So when we're working with people that are on point, that's also going to be a very tight pelvic floor situation. Now, granted that some people, you know, that's what they do, but the further along they get, they shouldn't be jumping and spinning so much. So looking at things like, were you a gymnast? Were you a dancer? You know, are you already very lifted and tight? Those are probably the main things we see. Also, um, as you mentioned horseback riding before, like, you know, things that are squeezing that the adductors, the inner thighs, that's going to lead to too much tightness. But the main ones I do see around, I would say be mindful of spinning, of running. I know a lot of people do run. I I start to pull that back a little bit. What's another one? Those are the main ones and bar classes. And it was interesting. I remember when I was pregnant with my first, and as I mentioned, I was taking crazy spin classes. I had my teacher say to me, she's like, you know, for some reason, all my ladies end up with C-sections. And I'm like, well, that won't be me. But I I was so close to it. So I really think, you know, it'd be mindful of how how, how we're overly engaging. And I know you mentioned CrossFit at one point. I'm not very familiar with it, but I do know it's weightlifting to the point of, of extreme fatigue. So I'd be mindful of something like that and, and heavy weightlifting. I was recently reading about, I think it was like 20% of people that still did very heavy weightlifting. That led to a lot of diastasis, which is going to lead to some compromise of the pelvic floor as well. So explain what a diastasis is. Oh, sure. So rectus abdominal diastasis, when the the rectus of 
abdominal front are no longer connecting because the linea alba, the connective tissue, has lost its integrity. So it needs to have some natural tension. But if we have all this abdominal pressure pushing forward and the rectus are separating, or well, all the muscles separating, and we lose that integrity, there's a gap. It could be, you know, a small gap, one finger up to five, six fingers. And we need to have the, the canister of the abdomen well-contained. So if we start to create that separation of the abdominal muscles, it can lead to some pelvic floor compromise. So things like crunches. Would yeah, be no, some, don't do those. <laughs> something to completely avoid. Because you, know, you already have this baby growing and everything, like pushing those muscles to their limit, stretching them out. Yeah, you know, and I, I've been to the gym and I see pregnant women do it. And, you know, it's not my place to go up and be like, well, you know, by doing those crunches, you can create more problems. But if anyone's ever done any sort of crunch when pregnant, even just like jackknifing up, their belly gets this little point forward. I, I call it a little shark fin. That's a sign that there's some abdominal separation. Some yoga can cause that problem too. You know, deep back bends, twists, all that can create some problem with separation of the abdominal muscles. And that also goes back to what you were saying with tight pelvic floor. I forgot to mention that yoga. There's a lot of yoga that talks about this thing called Mula Bandha, where it's an engagement of the pelvic floor all the time. You know, so if we're always engaging, we're never going to release. So yeah, if deep back bends, deep twists, crunches, weightlifting. Unfortunately, for second time moms, we think about, you know, picking up first child, pushing a heavy stroller, trying to pull it up. And so we have to be really mindful of how we can better support our bodies. And I think it's, it's great to let people know that you're like, take away the shoulds of I've been able to do this all the time and now I can't and feeling less than or like you're failing because really your body's changing so much. You've increased your blood volume 50%. You have relaxing going through your whole body, making you a little more wobbly and more prone to falling and just looser joints that could create easier injuries. You have to kind of respect where your body is at at that moment. You do. And I think it's, I think it's really hard. I think, you know, and I've watched this with yogis and again, I, I kind of put myself in this category and, and dancers and athletes. If someone's worked so long on their craft, you know, whether it be yoga or dancing or their technique of running and all of a sudden they have to change it, it's really kind of showing I'm changing myself. You know, I'm all of a sudden transitioning. It's like when someone becomes a mom and all of a sudden you have a different identity. You know, if someone's identified with their yoga practice or their dancing and now they have to give it up, it's really emotionally hard. So trying to find a way to accept surrender and find people that are going to support that surrender. Because I can't tell you how many people congratulated me in spin class. Like, oh, you're doing great. You know, you're still on that bike. And it would have actually been helpful for someone to be like, hey, what you doing? It's okay to let it go. It's going to be there after. You know, I think we're, we just, we're just so hard on ourselves. So if you do have a tight perineum and tight muscles, what are some of the things that happen during labor that can make it more difficult? So you did mention failure to progress, which is a nice, enormous umbrella, right? <laughs> That's a big one. You know, so if the pelvis is misaligned and imbalanced and the uterus is imbalanced, it's going to cause, you know, just a long, slower labor. And not all care providers and hospitals are going to give the time to let baby work itself out. So we can have the uterus is torqued. I'm sure you've heard of intrauterine constraint. So we've got these ligaments that are attached from the uterus to the pelvis. And if the pelvis isn't aligned well, they're pulling on that uterus. So if you can imagine the uterus kind of like a big balloon, and all of a sudden one of the tethers is pulling it out of alignment, so it's no longer even, that's going to have a a deeper problem with the way the baby descends and even the alignment of the cervix. So here we are, we're not progressing, even with Pitocin, you know, and things are then, baby's not descending, you know, so the mom's going to start to then get anxious and nervous. And we already talked about the psoas, what happens with, you know, anxiety, you know, it fires it into fight or flight. And then, so say you actually do get baby descended and you're making some progress. I mean, then we have this tight pelvic floor and maybe it's not even evenly tight. You know, baby's head could be asynclitic or as you mentioned, kind of like pushing a door open that's really shut. You know, so mom's finally getting the, the rotation and the descent and now she has to hit the pelvic floor and have a rotation for a head to come out. Well, the head's not really rotating as well because that pelvic floor is really tight. Or, you know, you might have a care provider that sees a really tight pelvic floor and says something like, you know, we might have to do an episiotomy. 
Um, or we might need to have more of an instrumental birth because it's really hard to let that pelvic floor stretch. So it's coming back to balance. We need to be able to have the body a little more, it can be strong, but supple. So we want to try to have mom have an easier birth. And also think if we're really tight and she's pushing for a long time, that can lead to prolapse. And no one wants to deal with pelvic floor and pelvic organ prolapse postpartum. You know, again, you don't want her to feel like she's peeing all over herself as she's trying to take care of her baby. Absolutely. Nobody wants that. And (laughs) when you were talking about the head, you know, not being able to rotate because of a too tight pelvic floor, it it reminded me as well that if you're pushing for a long time, this baby's head is then suddenly getting a lot of un wanted forces pushing for you know because you're trying to push down and the door is tight at the bottom and so this little head this little neck they're being kind of smushed and squeezed and 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 then that's gonna do for breastfeeding well and that's it it affects everything right because then you might have a baby that has torticollis or that has you know needs an adjustment or cranial sacral therapy or something to release those things that we don't think about yeah, and exactly. And some people may be like, oh, cranial sacral, sure. But other people, like cranial white, like that wouldn't even occur to them. And like, why is baby's mouth not latching? What's going on with the jaw? Why is the suck too strong, too weak? And then they may give up on breastfeeding. And then you, if breastfeeding is what you wanted to do, you feel like a failure. Yeah. And, and again, she hears that now she's a failure from not breastfeeding and, and her pelvic floor is tight and, and she's diastasis. I mean, like, we don't want, we want mom's entrance into this new journey and this new experience to be a welcomed one, not where she's feeling beaten down, you know, and that she just went through this war of labor. And it's all this is really just to help help the pregnant person enter this new phase with a little more ease. Yeah. And it is a time of ease, of being gentle with yourself. I know I know that doesn't fit into what we're used to in mm-hmm. culturally, you know, this drive that we constantly have. What do you mean? I've got to like slow down. And, and and I feel like I say this to ad nauseum, like it is so important for you to internalize that and, and give yourself grace and be know that it is okay to be slow, <laughs> to oh, yeah. take your time, because your baby actually is going to force you into that slower time. Baby time, everything takes 10 times longer than you think it could. Like just getting out the door. I tell my pregnant students that all the time, like, enjoy the fact if you want to go get a coffee and bagel, just put your shoes on, walk out the door. It doesn't happen like that once baby's there, you know. <laughs> now it's a half an hour just to get your shoes on and make sure baby's, you know, hasn't blown out diaper. Right. And you were mentioning before of the possibility of having an episiotomy because once the baby finally descended and got there, that the, those muscles were too tight. And I've got to say, as a doula, I have seen that. I have, mm-hmm. it's not something that we're hypothesizing here. I don't know if it's been your experience too. Yeah, there was a moment during my first birth where my home birth midwife, which will tell you, doesn't usually go there, said, would you want me to cut an episiotomy? And I literally thought, oh my God, when would a home birth midwife offer that? Clearly something was not stretching and opening. I didn't end up needing it, but there was a little moment of panic of thinking, why is she offering this? You know, it's not, that's not usually where a home birth midwife's going to go. You know, that's, that's not usually part of their, their uh, repertoire of, of techniques they use. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Had you been, had baby been crowning for quite a bit? Oh, yes. Yes. Very long. <laughs> um, and like the crazy, and I think as a doula, you'd appreciate this. I kept asking with every contraction what his heart rate was <laughs> because I was concerned, you know, we're crowning for so long. <laughs> tell me, tell me his heart rate. Like, do you need to know? I'm like, yes, I do. Um, so, you know, we don't want that for women. Fortunately, I didn't need that. But as you've seen, if it's really tight, the episiotomy is going to cause scar tissue. You know, you can have a deeper tear. We don't want that for women. No, no, nobody wants that. Definitely something to be avoided. And so, Deb, let's look forward a little bit more. We've been focusing on the birth. And, and you did mention a little bit of how recovery can be if you have, like, what is an ideal recovery look like? And how can having too much of a tight pelvic floor and unbalanced pelvic floor hinder your recovery? 
Well, there's going there could be some prolapse. There can be some pelvic floor prolapse. So if mom was pushing for a really long time, it can cause the organs to release into the pelvic floor. Especially if we think about all those ligaments. It's not all the ligaments, the hormones that are creating softness in ligaments. So they're descending anyway. And then when you're pushing for a long time, you have that downward pressure. And if the ligaments overextend, then all of a sudden maybe you're having bladder prolapse or even a little cervical prolapse or rectal prolapse. And then she has to work on healing from that. My own experience and that of many of my students was pelvic floor rehab, you know, and then doing pelvic floor exercises. And it takes a while to get back. And a lot of moms want to, you know, get back on their feet mindfully after. But if all of a sudden focus on like, how can I support my pelvic floor? It's harder to transition back to regular exercise. So there's pelvic floor stuff that can happen. If her pelvic floor is really tight and she's pushing for a long time, that can also create the diastasis I was talking about. So we don't want mom feeling her body was trashed after. So I think that the transition back to postpartum exercise needs to be slow and mindful, that we don't want to start running and getting pounding on, on that compromised pelvic floor. want to give time for the body to support it, get back to its normal state. And how long could that take? Yeah, I know that it's like a really broad question. <laughs> I know, like, I could be years for some people, depends on what's going on. Right. But you know how we have this horrible postpartum care where before when you're pregnant, we're, you know, asking you to come in every week so we can check things out. And then afterwards, you don't see you for six weeks. weeks. Yeah, I know. Isn't it kind of crazy, though? Like, so here we are seeing, you know, once a week and then all of a sudden after like, oh, see you in six weeks. And I I did some research that one of the that six week period is actually the highest occurrence of major situations with the postpartum body happening, like preeclampsia, you know, even cardiac arrest. So it is a little crazy that we have such a gap. Um, But when someone should start exercising again, I think they need to be mindful of their bleeding. I've had students come back like ten days later, and I'm like, it's great that you got out of the house, but. I can't have you doing this. And if they do, I have them do a restorative class. So we need to be mindful of the bleeding. And for the C-section, that's major abdominal surgery. We need to wait at least six weeks. So I say, look at what your body's feeling capable of doing. As you mentioned, like that whole six-week, very quick meeting with the care provider, usually it's like, okay, you can just jump right back. But when can anyone, all of a sudden, the day turns six weeks and all of a sudden you're off running again? So I think we need to really pay attention to how does the body feel? What kind of signals is the body giving as opposed to the mind and ego? Like, I need to exercise. I need to get back to pre-pregnancy body. So we need to look at the bleeding. Is there incontinence? Is there a heaviness in the vagina? How does the back feel? How does her own energy feel? Mm, Because you're probably not sleeping that much. You're probably getting not that great of nutrition unless you're being really mindful and active and have great support around Mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm one of mine that sleep comes before exercising. Yeah, especially because if you are going to exercise and you're you're tired, what kind of workout are you really going to get? You're probably better off catching up on your sleep, feeling better, and then having a shorter workout. Absolutely. And I really love what you just said about listening to your body, not your ego. And and just touching in with what's going on because pregnancy was nine months where everything changed and you had a baby and then all those muscles that were stretched really far are all deflated and they need some time to, you know, it's hard to even figure out how to re-engage those. And the muscle tone drops. During postpartum, the estrogen drops dramatically. And if someone's breastfeeding, their body's in actually a postmenopausal state of estrogen. It's really low. So muscle tone is decreased. So here someone is, you know, the pelvic floor is having more decreased support. Their, their body's still changing because if they're breastfeeding, their breasts are huge. There's often fatigue. We really need to be more respectful of that postpartum body. That way, when someone is feeling the energy, they can get back to their workout slowly and mindfully. Because if we go back too early, we're going to injure ourselves. It's going to take that much longer to get back to what we love. Yeah, and so much more frustrating. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What other things should people be mindful of or you recommend they pay attention to? 
they need to pay attention to their posture and you know how they're holding their baby and if they're breastfeeding it can cause a lot of neck strain so be really mindful of how you know what they're doing in their daily life now that's going to be different so that they can't just kind of jump right back into life that their body's different they're different their whole experience is different and, and just to be okay with that what are some of your favorite resources around this topic Oh, gosh. Okay. Which one to go to? And you did mention Gail Tully and Spinning Babies, and I will link in the show notes. Yeah. I'm also a big fan. I have a teacher I've been studying with, Leslie Howard. She is pelvic floor all the way. She's based in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Her pelvic floor teacher training. It's fascinating. I mean, I was already a pelvic floor geek from my own experience, but her work is really great. And I think she's a book. I think it's called like pelvic liberation. So I go a lot to Gail Tully to spinning baby. I check in with Leslie and then I just keep finding as much research as I can. I have a few PTs that I work with in New York that if I ever have questions, I reach out to them. I feel like they know more than your average care provider, which is also something maybe to keep in mind that a lot of women just talk to their care provider about what I should and shouldn't do and even the state of their pelvic floor after. And that's not their specialty. They're not actually trained in that kind of thing. So I would say if someone has some questions of the state of their pregnant body, check with a physical therapist that specialize in women's health. Um, So those are the people I tend to reach out to if I have questions or something's come up that I haven't been able to figure out on my own. And I definitely recommend people to go check out a pelvic floor specialist, even do a, a check-in while p- during pregnancy, just to mm-hmm. see what your baseline is, and then yeah. the recovery. And I know it sounds excessive, but, you know, in France, everybody gets this included. I was yeah, I was like, I was going to slip that in. I'm like, well, we're from France. It wouldn't be such so excessive because they get eight weeks of postpartum PT. Exactly. So it's something that everybody should be doing. And I know that requires a mental shift. But, you know, figure out what you can do for you. And like you said, those great diaphragmatic breathing exercises, like those are really a good way to start connecting with your body back afterwards uh, during postpartum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if someone is during postpartum having some problems with their pelvic floor and they want to start to find some of that pelvic floor toning, I recommend doing it on your back with your hips elevated so that they can start, they can have gravity pull the weight of the organs off the pelvic floor so they can start to find those muscles again. So it's not like they're already weight bearing as they then try to find the muscles. I learned that from my PT mm. and I do that with all my women. I lift the pelvis on a block so that they can then have that elevation. And you can do this at home. You can do this as soon as they want to start to feel their pelvic floor again. And that was my question. It's not like they're lifting their hips up on their own. Oh, no. Yeah. Like shove a pillow, shove like two pillows underneath. You don't need a massive height, just a little bit of a height. So one of the things I do with my students is I have them find the pelvic floor first on blocks. Then I take them down. Then I have them do transverse abdominal exercises to find those muscles again. And then I combine the work. So now they're starting to find some gentle transverse and some gentle pelvic floor, really finding that core again. So not jumping back and trying to do crunches or, you know, lots of plank, really being subtle to get the stability and then move forward into whatever exercise they want to do. Yeah. And connecting with that deep level tissue, like you were saying before, of those ligaments that connect the uterus and and bring things back. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of people, when they think abs, they want to get that kind of instant burn, which is more your rectus abdominals, your six pack. But the deep transverse, that's really where it's at about stability and support. So if we can create that support, it's going to help decrease diastasis as well. Mm, I love it. That has been a, a this is a packed, packed episode. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know it's very anatomy based. So those that like anatomy be like, woohoo, we love it. And some might be like, what? What is she talking about? Well, and, and no, I mean, anatomy is where it's at. It's physiology. You've got to understand it. The more I learned about the body, the more amazed I am. And the more things make sense of why you wouldn't go <laughs> at six weeks. Let me see if I can get back to lifting some weights. It's like, wait a second, yeah. your Jenga tower, the base is the is a mess. You can't start putting things up at the top. You got to line that bottom. Your Jenga tower, that's awesome. Your Jenga tower is a mess. <laughs> uh, Deb, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been lots of fun. Thank you. That was Deb Flaschenberg, who is the founder and director of the Prenatal Yoga Center in New York City and is also the creator and host of the Yoga Birth Babies podcast. 
I had the opportunity to be a guest on Deb's podcast, and we talked about finding birth flow within a hospital setting. So if you want to listen to that, you can find the link in the show notes for this episode. You can find Deb on Instagram at Prenatal Yoga Center, and you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast. In fact, if you're not driving, we would love it if you would take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram to your stories sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Maybe it was the different types of urinary incontinence. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you find that this podcast has helped you so much, then the best way you can support us is by taking any one of my perinatal classes, doing one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. Thank you so very much for listening to Ensuring Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen, and then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.